Welcome to the Curiosity Solution. I'm your host, Beverly Beal. Join us as we explore the science of curiosity, share stories of people who've used curiosity to improve their lives, and maybe inspire some aha moments along the way. Welcome, everybody, to the Curiosity Solution. I love this guest. Um, first of all, I got to have to go in and talk a little bit about our origin story here, Alicia. Um, so Alicia K. Miller, by the way, is someone that I would probably not have met had it not been for our for her friend who was sitting next to one of our friends who were in town at a concert. And they were just chatting away and... Next thing we know, the five of us are are continuing to have a great conversation after the concert. And Alicia and I just connected after that. So you never know who you are going to come into contact with uh, without, without being curious about who's sitting next to you. So anyway, um, Alicia, well, thank and, you so and much. Beverly, may I just weigh in on that? Absolutely. I, I remember you were at the opposite. We were at opposite ends. And we were, we, we didn't, we texted at the, at the contact information afterwards, but you asked me at some point, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I work in empathy. And you said, so do I. And so that was that common connection. Yeah. The, the difference though, is that the empathy that I work with is typically teaching people how to manage that skill set and how to understand when they're being impacted by other people's emotions and by the the way that your furniture is laid out using the feng shui principles. Um, but I loved your philosophy and your concept of working with businesses, uh, business owners, uh, people on teams to bring that empathic um, feel to the workplace. Um, so, you know, we're kind of already moving right into it. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what brought you to the realization that this was the thing that you were, that was going to be your next step, that this is going to be your mission. Good question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I, and hello, everyone from Austin, Texas. I, uh, I spent 26 years in corporate America. I can't say that I was uh, emotionally satisfied in that environment, but I was financially sound. And uh, I always felt that there was something I was called to do. It was bigger than the straight nine to five. I just didn't know what it was. And so after um, a lot of extensive travel and then all those years in corporate America, I decided at the end of 2019, you know what I want to, I want to do something else. I do not know what it is, but it's not this. And I was clear I wanted to take on a new venture in, in midlife that really put my arms around humanity. And so I decided my resignation date was going to be March 2nd, 2020. And the Friday before I went to sleep, high anxiety in part, geez, you know, leap in the net will appear. And then the other aspect is really scary. I mean, wow, I'm, I'm walking away from 26 years of knowing something. 
but I was awakened at 1 a.m. to the empathy gap in my right ear. And I truly knew then I thought, okay, I was just divined my path forward. And so I bolted out of bed and sketched out the business model that is Empathy Uprise and resigned on the following Monday. And here we are, <laughs> you know, three plus years later. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then the pandemic intervened. Yes. A little bit more empathy. Yeah, definitely. And truly the, the timing couldn't have been more perfect because I had to unravel myself from that straight nine to five basically someone else guiding my path. I suddenly was guiding my own work path forward. And that was a completely brand new experience for me. So in the nine months, I worked with attorneys and brand narrative folks and graphic designers and website developers. So it gave me the time to get to a great place. Uh, so when I launched in November, 2020, I was you know ready to go and we were obviously full swing pandemic at that point, but yeah. I'm good with it. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, the, the unwinding part, yeah. um, can you talk us through how did that feel in your body? I mean, what had to happen in, in your, your mental, emotional and, and physical space for you to have that unwinding while we're all going through this pandemic. But I think even without that, you would have experienced the unwinding piece. Yeah. Um, I know it's different for everybody, but but I'd love it to if you could share with uh, the group about how it worked for you. Yes, absolutely. Initially, I it was you. I was euphoric. I mean, truly, leading up to my resignation, I I felt the confidence of I am absolutely on the right path forward. Then I resigned. And I was, you know, not looking back at all. And it was truly a time for me to move on anyway. And then I was probably about, I'd say the first, oh, the first couple of months, because I was so busy working with people to, to really get things in motion. Once there was a lull in that, and when I say that, all the vendors I, I was partnered up with, they're over here doing all their work. And Alicia's just sitting here waiting, waiting, waiting. And that is when I went, the panic set in. What have I done? What is happening? We're in the middle of a pandemic. And then I absolutely had imposter syndrome. And so there was a lot of, I remember truly I was, because I didn't have to be up so early anymore. I was literally waking up at 11, <laughs> going to bed at three, which is averse to me. I am very much a go to bed at nine, get up at six kind of person. And it all manifested out that way. Everything for all of us in many ways because of the pandemic was upside down. And for me, I feel like there was another added layer of crazy on that. And I did a lot of very late night walks just you know, open hands, open heart, straight up this way, just guide me, guide me where I'm supposed to be. And I was really assured of my path forward, but I also had that self-doubt. And so it, it just, Beverly, back to your question, it was just a lot of um, sleepless nights, 
And uh, I did, I cried a lot, absolutely in journal, 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 journal. And, and uh, I don't have any family here and I live alone. And so I, I was literally hugging walls at certain points because it was just so bananas for, for all of us. But the way for me, this path forward was straight, keep going. Um, but uh, in terms of, you know, this, this whole journey, as you know, being an entrepreneur, it is not a straight line and I'm very used to it now, but it was um, upside down for, for a good, good chunk of time for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, yes. I, I think anybody who's ever gone through uh, a, a massive change in life, even if it's a desired change, mm -hmm. finds themselves in that upside down world for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I remember after I got uh, right sized out of Procter and Gamble, um, I, even though I chose that, it's still like, uh, what do I do with myself? Because you are, you're so used to that structure. Mm -hmm. And then when you yes. don't have it, uh, you know, I, I, you know, now at the age where many of our friends are retiring and there's that same thing that, that they, they're reporting the same thing at that euphoria of, oh, yes, I <laughs> let loose of the shackles. I'm no longer chained to the desk. And then you're like, oh, no, what, <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? Exactly. And, uh, you know, so. You know, you mentioned that you don't have family here. How did they handle uh, this new curious phase of your your life? Absolutely. Hands down, I'm out of my mind. And there are still family members who are like, you're crazy. This is crazy. You gave up this for that. And um, and I have friends, too, and and, and they remind me the ones who really get what I'm doing, they're like, you got to have a little crazy to take, take this kind of jump, be an entrepreneur. And in, in my case, a solopreneur, uh, which, which means for, for viewers, that means that I do it everything one-stop shop right here on my own. And in many ways it's extremely liberating but it also is a lonely, lonely world. And I think any entrepreneur will tell you whether they are partners or not. It is a very lonely journey uh, because people, a lot of people don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. However, as you know, Beverly, you know when you know and you do not know until you know. And, uh, you, and adding in your own what have i done you know that you've done the right thing for yourself yes <laughs> and it is still sometimes hard you know that's why it's important to have uh, other entrepreneurs around other solopreneurs around people who've gone through it who are going through it who can empathize yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the the anytime you are innovating, anytime you are doing something that others are not, mm -hmm. um, it takes a while for the vision 
to permeate, you know, to, to, for, for others to kind of catch up. Um, and that was actually something that I found refreshing about how you're approaching all of this, Alicia. Um, but I'm going to backtrack a tiny bit. Sure. You know, you said that you had that the voice in your right ear. Actually, this is my right ear. Uh, <laughs> no, which line? Um, is that typically where you sense curiosity, or was that more that the the knowing the message? You know, or does curiosity and wonder find their way and uh, uh, get your attention in other ways in your physical body? Or how does it show up? Because it may not always be in your body. Right. My curiosity is definitely heart-centric, hands okay. down, without a doubt. Uh, but I would say for me, really, curiosity is an entire body experience because I, I, I am very tactile. I'm very visual, uh, very auditory. And in that sense, I mean, that was it was very interesting because it it was a male voice who said the empathy gap. Now it's just me and my cat. So I knew, you know, I'm not, there's nobody here. And I knew that it was absolutely um, divine, but in the heart space, it's very interesting, Beverly, because when I look back at my writings for many, many years, I can see that I was being guided exactly where I'm at to this place of solopreneurship, empathy uprise. And the timing, I think, for the universe to open up this opportunity to me was spot on because I was stepping away didn't know what I was going to do next, but I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm offered up this opportunity to take hold of spreading empathy around the world, educating people on what it is and what it isn't. And so much of that comes straight in combination with the auditory and the visual and tactile with my heart. Because, um, and truly, you know, my first experience, I share this a lot. My first experience with empathy was when I was seven. And my schoolmate's house burned down in a fire. And it was up in Washington State, particularly Eastern Washington State, which is very, very cold in the month of February. And I couldn't relate to the fire, hadn't had that experience of loss. But I knew what it was to be cold and I knew that I didn't like it. And so I broke up with my piggy bank and bought him a winter coat because I felt strongly, just like I do today, if, if I have one, he should have one too. Mm. And that really was the guiding place of my life. And, and when I look back at the actions that I've taken, they've all really rooted back to that seven-year-old memory. Wow, that's powerful. I don't think you I don't remember you sharing that with me. You might have, but again, <laughs> we met and it's we've all slept a little bit between now and then. Yes. Um so the 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 male voice in your in your right ear. Yes. Um you know, I personally I I I work with a soul guide, um, you know, a team and uh and so that isn't 
an unusual concept for me to to hear that you know like when you ask a question in in a lot of times we'll hear someone answering us in our head definitely uh, <laughs> yeah. so some people are like oh my gosh you're crazy um but the reality is there well for me anyway my reality is that i have really the the human body having this experience but i have a soul who is inside that is inspiring different actions in different directions in order to uh, have the experiences that this particular soul chose during this, you know, this ride, this, this earth incarnation. Um, you know, sometimes I kind of look at it as, did, did, did my soul really get what they were doing when they incarnated on Earth? I mean, because this is a pretty weird theme park. This is a very strange mm -hmm. theme park. We have a lot of fun. And then there's a lot of waiting. And then, you know, the ride breaks down. Or the, it's like, <laughs> seriously, are you, did, did, you, did you plan this? Um, you know, and again, I also have this, this theory that um, each soul comes down as part of a package it comes as a group and and you know some call those soul pods some just call it a soul group you know whatever name you want to put at it um this is just how i make sense of why certain people come across each other in such interesting circumstances and so it's it's like okay does your soul manage to orchestrate that you and your friend would be sitting right next to us at that concert at that time for this to happen? Um, have you had more conversations with your soul guide to, you know, that is helping you to continue to impact and attract the people to keep your, your message going? I, that particular voice I had never heard prior and I've never heard again. The voice that I hear is my grandmother's and Ooh. I can feel her presence in particular when I'm really in self-doubt in those moments where I'm just I'm really, I, I call it rolling around in the emotional mud, rolling around in the emotional mud, pardon me. Um, and she is there and she, she's like, roll it girl, roll it, roll it, but get back up. And I do. Uh, so I would say that she is a great guidance counselor and I do, uh, likely like you, I, I am intuition, soul guides, constantly talking to me. The one message that I get frequently throughout the day, Beverly, is keep going. And so that's what I do. I just keep going. And it's really hard when sometimes it doesn't seem like you're making progress. Sure. <laughs> or the progress that you're making actually is backwards. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but usually for me, when that happens, it's, it's an opportunity to get a little bit of space 
between where I thought I was supposed to be going to where the course correction needs to happen and being able to refocus, redirect, fine tune the, you know, the instruments so that when you get going again, you've actually made it a little bit of that course Mm -hmm. correction. Now, the that's I think that's amazing that you've identified that um, the your your guidance counselor voice as yeah. your grandmother. Yes. Uh, you know that kind of gets into a lot of what I love to to refer to as the the generational strength. You know, a lot of the I hear more and more about generational trauma, um, but yeah. what we forget sometimes is sometimes is the that generational strength that we yes. get. Yeah. I mean, you think about what our ancestors had to go through just to survive yeah. and and that that message often of oh no alicia this is too scary this is too off the beaten path that's that fear of you're going to fail and you know you're going to starve and that means you're going to die and we don't want you to die <laughs> so you know Maybe it's a, somebody outside of the of you that's doing this, but maybe it's those voices in your head, like that imposter syndrome. That's really just a program that basically is saying, no, don't do this. We're going to die. We're going to die. We might have to go back and get a you know real job. But <laughs> the... <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are just listening, she is mouthing, no. <laughs> but let's face it, there is that as a plan C. Plan yeah. B is simply redirecting again and, and re, re, reformatting and reformulating. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, but but what I am curious now about is, when you were growing up, yes. how was curiosity in your family treated? Were you allowed to explore things or was it always the kind of more rigid, well, no, this is the way to do things? How did that work when you were a child? Oh, no. I... <laughs> no holds barred. Do your thing. Oh. My, mom, my mom used to say to me, and, and she still says it all the time, She's like, just be happy, just be happy. And so I was never boxed in. I was never told, uh, yeah, sure. If I had my hand over hot stove, you're gonna burn yourself. You know that, but, but I never, I was not raised in a household of no. I was raised in a household of yes. And really that is what curiosity is, right? It's answering yes to whatever interests you. Which I find fascinating that you were raised in that environment. And yet when you did choose (laughs) to make yourself happy and to explore that those yeses suddenly became, oh, no, 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 you can't be doing this. Well, and I, excuse me, I will say that that was my mother, uh, who was my primary caregiver, and I was under her roof for 18 years. Uh, And so there were a lot of other individuals 
uh, in the, you know, surrounding area that uh, are the ones that didn't live in the house with me who basically tell me that I'm bananas. So it wasn't my mother who is still very, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Embrace life. <laughs> Take chances. So I take it your father didn't, was it your father then that was saying, no, you're nuts? Mm -hmm. Okay. So your father's not listening. Not, he, was, he was not in the household with your mother? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now that makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> Which uh, again, I'm not, we're not going to go down that road too far, but when you have someone who is very, you know, living in that scarcity, fear-based mindset and living with someone who is outside of that um, tiny box, it, it, it does provide a beautiful contrast. Yes that helps to prepare you for living in a world where there's a lot of that kind of contrast. Yes. And, and absolutely my, my mother and father were complete opposites. And so I do feel very fortunate to have had those different perspectives and, and, you know, it broadens out. I was raised in a very rural area but I've traveled all over. I've lived in big cities. And so I feel like I've got that compare and contrast. And so when I do talk to people, um, I, I, I do, I, 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 especially people in rural areas, I look, I, I grew up in a rural area. I understand. Mm -hmm. And I do you understand do. and appreciate the mindset. And I yeah. think that is, is uh, you and I, are very fortunate in that regard, Beverly, because a lot of people just have this or that, and you and I have both. I've always, well, I have appreciated that I have the privilege of a both and mm -hmm. experience. Yes. One of the things, that, you know, growing up in a very small farming community, the a lot, especially before the internet, there truly weren't as many opportunities. There truly were times when if you tried to branch too far outside of the box yes. and be more empathic, um, even more empathetic, you, you, you could seriously damage your own future. Um, so, you know, I am very aware that for many generations, that, that luxury of, of looking for the both and piece, it just wasn't there. Right. Um, or it required uh, such a tearing of the social fabric that it, you know, for many, it was simply too painful. Right. And I, I, I understand that. That's, but and, and that's why I was so fascinated with how you're using this to go into businesses yeah. to help them through that process of wanting to take those baby steps towards being more um, empathic. Yeah. Uh, Personally, I think if you can find, you know, I don't see why, how this is a, a bad thing because, you know, having come from a sales background, if you can put yourself into the buyer's shoes, that simply gives you an opportunity to speak to their need 
and to see how your product can actually help meet that. And I don't see that as being a, a negative in the slightest. What are you getting when you go into businesses to, to uh, talk with uh, people about your work? Well, I'm, I'm very glad that you teed that up uh, because that really is my uh, bottom line, in particular with executives. I remind them, you are customers. We are all customers. And so when you do not feel seen, heard, and understood as a customer, do you keep going back? No. Oh, no. And how many people do you tell about that experience? Massive ripple effect. So I share that with executives and I remind them that's what's going on with employees. It's always been going on. But as you know, Beverly, the pandemic upended everything and employees have a lot of choice. And so if they're not seen, heard and understood, they're going to walk because they can. And the end of the day, if our employees are not satisfied on the job, they're not going to interact very well with our customers. And that's going to go out. And how many times have you been in a business, whatever it is, a restaurant, a dry cleaner, uh, uh, anything, and that employee is fantastic with you and you are just like, oh my goodness, I'm going to keep going back there and you tell 10 friends. Okay, conversely, terrible experience. It's likely because they are treated poorly in the workplace. There's no empathy. And so they are just rippling that out. So it really does all come back to us from my perspective, self-empathy. If we consider empathy, it's in everything. It is a part of everything. We all want it. We all want to have people understand where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. And with self-empathy, you think about your, it begins and empathy begins and ends with us. And so it just, it, it's so much easier to realize when we have self-empathy, because that makes you understand me better because you understand yourself. So that is so much of the dialogue that I go into with executives and middle management and really anyone who's willing to listen to learn. And I just remind them, your customers, how do you like mm-hmm. to be treated? <laughs> well, and, and that is very eye opening for people. People forget that we are the ones who are training others how to treat us. And when, and, you know, for me, again, when I'm looking at a person's uh, office or, you know, their space, if they're not treating their own, own self well, how can they expect others to treat them? Um, when I, I would imagine one of probably the best clients for you is when there is one company being purchased by another and helping the two sides uh, that are coming together in this from two very different cultures 
how they can then connect yes. and and <laughs> find that 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 commonality, find the common ground. Um, would you say that that's probably the the number one group that you're working with, uh, or is there somebody else that you typically find has been reaching out to you? Well, you just actually. <laughs> You just surface something that I never have even considered. I, I haven't approached that type of uh, experience. And so thank you, by the way. Yay. Uh, I, <laughs> I, Intuitive. I, I got things. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been approached by so many different large organizations, small organizations, individuals and I don't do coaching per se. I will have a conversation all day. If you want to talk empathy, let's do it. Uh, I just really embrace anyone who comes after me. And a lot of, a, a lot of people, pardon me, a lot of people ask me, who's your target audience? And I said, everyone, everyone, because we all want empathy. And a lot of people don't think that's the best approach. But for me, that is the only approach. It's the only way to look at it. If, if I, I don't think I'm being very empathetic if I'm just targeting one group over another. So, but thank you for surfacing what you did because you just gave me another idea. So I guess I am a little curious why you would say that you aren't doing coaching uh, per se, uh, because what you're talking about is a lot of, of coaching. You are helping people to understand themselves and then finding a, you know, finding a way to help them bridge the gap between understanding others. Um, you know, I personally would think that is that empathy gap that you heard in your ear and finding a way to close that gap or at least to find the way to build bridges. You may not necessarily to push the mountains together, but you can help you know, create the, the bridge there, uh, especially to, you know, when it comes to employee retention, employee morale, um, you know, because we have, a very powerful, pivotal year coming up next year. Again, in feng shui, it's the year of the Yangwood dragon. That is one of the rarest. Well, it comes around every 60 years, but it's it's the like tip top in the Chinese um, zodiac signs okay. because Yangwood, oh yeah, yeah. Most of the acupuncturists that I know right now are, they have been super busy with do, uh, doing fertility treatments to try to help these families have babies, you know, anytime after February 4th. Yeah. Oh my because, gosh. Yeah. Cause in the, in the, yeah. Cause in um, the Chinese Zodiac, the dragon is the only one, the only animal that is a mystical animal. It's a magical animal. And, um, and the Yang wood is like, think about a tree. A tree is very, they're very focused. They're very, you know, driven to, they're just going to go straight towards their goals. So when you get this, this goal oriented, mystical, magical combination, um, the, there's, there's a lot of studies that talk about how children who are born in the year of the dragon 
tend to start companies. They tend to be in the, the upper echelon because they're more visionary, because they, you know, they're told they're more visionary. And so that they, they live up to that reputation. Um, so that's why I think for you with what you're doing is that very epitome of focused visionary uh, ideas. Yeah. Um, I'm going to encourage you to, to go into more of the coaching space, to call yourself, to, to, to claim that because you're really, uh, you know, epitomizing the energy of 2024, yeah. especially because for the next 20 years, women have a little bit more, especially the, you know, middle-aged women, which, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll claim that. Um, that, that it is, it is that there's an upwelling around uh, finally <laughs> uh, taking what we have to say more seriously. Uh, long overdue. Well, thank you. Uh, very excited. I'm glad that I uh, am the epitome of this dragon new year. Mm -hmm. I will share that at this stage, a lot of people have asked me, oh, you should coach, you should coach. A lot of executives have asked me. I have not been drawn to that. At this point, I am I'm unwilling to rule anything out. You know how this goes. You just, you know, you ride the wave and you be prepared, prepare to pivot. It just has not called me. I like the group experience and so much of my uh, teaching seminar is we're going to gather in groups and I like to bring in particular, if I'm in an organization, I want to bring in different departments and have them work together so mm. that it's not that group think that you might experience. Uh, it is really uh, more of a me to we think. And so to date, as I mentioned, that's really what lights me up is the group setting. So I think I am using a word and uh, calling it coaching when really what apparently I am saying is consulting oh, because, oh. you know, like, so, so I'm hearing what you're saying that you feel like coaching is more one-on-one -on -one yeah. rather than the group consulting piece. Oh, okay. So that's what you meant. I, I misunderstood. Yeah. Well, I think I, but again, I think we, we weren't quite on the same, um, uh, page with the definition of the term because I I do I you know I I talk a lot about in fact I'm launching a group coaching program uh, next year which is going to be more of the um, you know everybody get in the circle you know get on we'll get on a, a Zoom call I mean we're not circling because uh, <laughs> you can't really do circles right. or boxes I can I can do squares I can do rectangles not circles. But um, but yeah, so where people can ask questions, where people can uh, see, you know, what 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 is the feng shui? You know, what 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 should I do in this situation? Or um, I keep having the situation with a certain person. Uh, can you help me with that? And I may say, oh yes, well let's talk about the energy behind this interaction and where else was it present and how how is that? Where is that being held in your body? That's what I'm talking about when I talk about coaching. But really, it probably is more consulting, 
especially for you because you are doing that. Now, weren't you also doing um, presentations? So you do presentations, a group presentations for businesses now? Yes. Okay. When, when you say that, um, I do, I mean, I do speaking seminar and training. Okay. Is that what you were thinking? That's what I was curious about. Tell, tell me some more about how you structure those because, you know, with empathy, especially it's, it's, it's hard to be super empath, empathic, empathetic when you're talking in front of a group of a thousand people. Mm -hmm. um, you can inspire some introspection, but I'd love to know more about how you, how you work through that, how you're, how you are uh, working through that now. The way that I approach the speaking engagements, I I don't, when people ask me, oh, can you come give a lecture? I always tell them we're, we're not gonna have a lecture. We're gonna have a conversation. And so my work is, yes, I am absolutely sharing empathy through lecture but we're going to have interaction conversations. So I do a lot of, I, I don't throw things into the audience, but I do throw, raise your hand if, how many people that. So I absolutely do a lot of just engaging that way. And you're right, it is challenging to really get to, to the heart of things uh, in, in 40 minutes. But you can through inspiration. And, and one of the things that I do that people have been astounded by is prior to any presentation, I will walk the floor, walk the room, just do quick handshakes just to acknowledge people because that's so much of my work. And whether they realize it or not, I'm actually expressing empathy. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. And, and so uh, that is a way for me to really touch the audience in a way that you can't obviously do from the stage. But then if we move into my seminar, it's a three-hour seminar. And like I said, we focus on self empathy, then we move into employee empathy, and then customer empathy, and how they all tie in and begin to end with us. And in that, again, I am basically guiding participants to a question within each section. And then when we get to the question, then they are broken out into groups and then they work together and they come up with their own ideas because I, I wouldn't be very empathetic if I was telling people, this is what you should do. There are guidances toward things that you can do to be empathetic, but come up with your own ideas because we're all different people. We're all have different comfort levels. And then lastly, I do a five-week training that shows participants how to put empathy in action. And from my perspective, we do that through curiosity and vulnerability and compassion and selflessness. And then we round it out with 
activities and things that we can do. So it gives people a chance to really dive into every one of those things that I believe we need to put empathy in action. And, and the thing is about empathy is that you have to be willing to listen to learn from people. And when you're curious, it is probing thoughtfully, in particular with people that you've just met. Because what I've learned is that um, people want to talk, they want to share. But if you're not inquiring about them, if you're not asking questions, they're not going to share out. And so you're missing an entire connection with someone. And then vulnerability, hardest thing to do, right? I always say we know what we know what we know and we don't know a lot. And the thing about vulnerability is we have to admit that I don't know anything about that. Tell me about that. And you may hear things that make you very, very uncomfortable, but you have to remember we all have this unique one of a kind lived experience. And that mm -hmm. is that your conversation partner, where they're coming from, is not necessarily where you're coming from. And then the compassionate aspect, we're all humans. You cut every single one of us open. What happens? We all bleed red. And then lastly, grounding out with selflessness. Beverly, just like you and I right now, we are wholly present in this conversation. And that is the altruistic aspect of putting empathy in action. Ah, I absolutely love this. I can think of so many people that would just benefit from this. Um, well, I'd love to meet them. <laughs> I know. Well, I can think of been trying to find, find a way to convince them to believe that they yes. need this. It's yeah. the listening, the deep listening, the listening for of with curiosity and the listening to understand rather than the listening to respond. Yeah. Exactly. That, and, and that's so hard to teach. It is with, without a doubt. And, and the, the, the thing that we have to remember is empathy is a practice. Oh my gosh. There are times when I, I'm like, oh wow, that was massively unempathetic. We're human beings. You know, we're perfectly imperfect, but be in practice. That's the component of it. So when you have those moments or you, you know, or, or, and you're in your seminars and someone, well, they say something or do something that is really not terribly empathetic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just that, that knee jerk, thoughtless, off the cuff uh, response. Mm -hmm. How do you, what, what do you suggest as a way to repair or to, you know, what's the next step after that? Well, I will say that I haven't experienced that particular situation in any one of my speaking seminar or trainings. Oh, that's However, good. I myself, you know, I'll point, point to me uh, because the empathy begins and ends with me. All of us, when I say me, I mean we. Uh, I... I may walk away and go, oh, wow, that was unbelievably empathetic. If there, if I haven't completely left, I may go back and say, I am so sorry. 
or followed up by a text. I usually try and go back to at least, if I can't see him again, make a call uh, because it's so much more personal than, than text from my perspective. And I know a lot of that has to do with my age, but it's just the, the key component is, as I mentioned, we're not going to always get it right. The important thing is to recognize when you're unempathetic. And, and I will add that there are times when we are in a coffee conversation and we make it all about ourselves. And next thing you know, our coffee day is over. And we've just talked about ourselves for an hour. There are times when that is necessary, not with someone you just met, not with a new acquaintance, but with acquaintances that you know more than one time. But if it keeps reoccurring every time you meet with someone, what's going to happen is eventually that person's going to just stop meeting with you because you've made it all about you mm -hmm. and you're not being curious and asking about the other person how they're doing, what are they up to? And so I, I wouldn't say I have, you know, this pat answer on how to repair other than acknowledge it, acknowledge it. And instead of just letting it, dropping it and not doing anything, because that, that essentially signals to anyone, well, you don't care. And that may or may not be the case, but you can certainly remedy that by addressing how mm -hmm. selfish your behavior was. I like to pride myself on being a good listener mm -hmm. and listening to understand. Um, and one of the things that happens with people like me is we become uh, the the dumping ground, or we you know in the past I it was uh, you know much much more. I was in fact in college before I even knew what being an empath was, uh, or a you know highly sensitive person. I would joke that I think I've got paper towels on my shoulders because everybody keeps coming to cry on them, and and it would leave me feeling so exhausted. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I, it wasn't until uh, 2008 that I learned how to kind of shift out of that, still be able to, to hear people, but, you know, where it, it's not just make all about them anymore. Or if it was, understand, you know, try to discern, is it, is it just because they are so empty, they, they need some, some place to vent to, or... Is it because they're just clueless that they, that they are just uncurious, the opposite of aware, yeah. um, you know, that I like that you're, you're helping people put names to things that a lot of us more, uh, more intuitive, more empathic people understand, you know, just, just because of part of the air that we breathe, but not so much for others. Um, I would imagine that, uh, a lot of very, uh, left brained individuals would benefit greatly by your training. Yes. Well, and I, and I will say that, uh, definitely when I work with executives, 
there are some that are like you and I, where their door is open and they've asked me, Alicia, how, how do I basically close the door? Not permanently, but take that time. I said, you're not a doormat. Empathy does not mean that people get to show up and just dump on you. That That is not what empathy is at all. As with self-empathy, with yourself and with others, it is on you to create self-boundaries. And and like like you, Beverly, it, it took, I was, it, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I went, wow. I started learning, wow, I am very depleted. What does this mean? I, and, and so much of all of everything we're talking about, curiosity and empathy and empathy really is curiosity, is doing that self-exploration and realizing that um, if, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't properly take care of anyone. And, yep. uh, and, and so, and it's hard. I mean, it's very, very hard. And I still occasionally have a friend or two that dominates the conversation. However, there might be something going on that they need to just really talk about. And I know sometimes I'm that person. I'm just, I realize I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes what I've also noticed oh, is, out of the room. Yeah. But you know, sometimes what I've also noticed is uh, when it's, when I, when it's, a situation that's happening with different people and not just that one friend, that's uh, an opportunity for me to go inside and say, oh, okay, where have I decided that I either need to disappear or that it's an, I'm not worthy of taking up space? Yes. You know, as, as women, one of the challenges that I don't think men quite get is how difficult it is for us to give ourselves permission to take up space, yes. whether it's like, I've always been tall. And as I'm looking at the time, we've only got a few minutes left, but I've always been tall. I'm not exactly a thin little wisp. I'm not, you know, huge, but I have presence. I, you know, and I, I, I can, I can disappear shockingly. If I am not, if I am not being aware of where, you know, how much energy do I have? But I think that's part of the self-empathy that you're talking about is understanding when are you willing to be present, but not necessarily noticed? And when uh, do you need to honor that uh, lower energy level so that you can still participate without being drained? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Self-awareness, setting boundaries, uh, and, and you hear self-empathy. The key here is self, self, and yes. that is really what I share with executives when, when you know, they're eyeball rolling and they don't have time for that. And I, I said, but you want people to make time for it with you, though, right? And yep. it's that mirror effect. So if you don't like what you're seeing in that mirrored reflection, you have to look inward and say, what, what is it that I'm projecting out? 
Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, I could not agree with you more. <laughs> so Alicia, thank you so much for the, our, our hour has gone by so fast. Um, so what I'd like to do is uh, take the, put in the show notes what the what website and how they would like to contact you. Yes. Um, you know, I also will put in the show notes how people can get in touch with me and and participate in that uh, group experience that I will be cultivating next year. Um, by the time this airs, it probably will be 2024 <laughs> because <laughs> that's the way things are are rolling. Um, and uh, Alicia, thank you so much for everything. And one. What would what I would like to point out is, you know, when you're talking about self-empathy, sometimes the biggest way of finding of, of creating self-care and self-empathy, the best thing to do is to use the word no. Yes. And to remember that <laughs> yes. kindness is not always being nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So, there's that you can you can say no, and that may feel really edgy for those people pleasers uh, among us. Um, and I'm raising my hand, going, "Oh, <laughs> no, no's a tough one." But yeah, I have to. I'm, it's a it's a it's a it's a constant battle to 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 define my day. In, in a way that supports me and not everybody else. And I'm sure you have the same situation. I mean, well, actually, you've got a cat. The cat, will, the cat it, rules the roost. We all know that. Absolutely. And it, it really is honoring yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add in the last uh, two minutes that we have here? No, I just want to thank you so much for having me on the show. Looking well, forward to 2024. Yes, ma'am. Here we go. Bring on the dragon energy. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Alicia, for uh, being such a spectacular guest. Everybody, this is Alicia K. Miller with Empathy Uprise, and I'm Beverly Beal with the Curiosity Solution, offering all the solutions for all of your curious needs. Thank you very much.